Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second season of Her Voice, a podcast from The Choice, the media powered by ESCP Business School and dedicated to decision makers. My name is Emily Oliarchuk, and I am a member of The Choice's editorial team. If you're one of our most loyal listeners, you may already know what this show is about, giving the mic to women experts whose visions have transcended the competitive world of business, shaking things up for the better. Last season, we had the chance to interview brilliant women and amazing experts, such as Sandra Ray, Amelia Matar, Anisha Goel, and Professor Arguro Avgustaki. And we bet you'll love our guests for season two just as much. Are you ready to get started? Let's jump right in. Today, you'll be hearing the voice of Nadia Emrabit, an alumna of ESCP's Master in Management and the co-founder of Business Club Africa, or BCA for short, which is a community of senior-level executives doing business across Africa. She is also the co-founder of BCA Consulting, which supports private sector and development partners to create sustainable change and impact on the continent. Half European, half African, Nadia has been working across Africa since 2009 and has acquired over 17 years of experience in international project management. Today, she will share with us her advice for building a network across the continent. Hi, Nadia. Thank you for joining us on Her Voice. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's an honor and pleasure to be part of your amazing podcast, Her Voice. (laughs) So we like to start off our podcast with... um, a question that lets us get to know a little bit more the woman behind the voice. And you have consulted for various companies across numerous industries. And I'm wondering how have all these experience helped shaped who you are today in your career? Um, I mean, um, so basically, as you said, I've consulted both actually in the private sector and the development world. And um, for me, consulting really helped me um, understand how businesses and organizations are working as a whole. And then also in particular uh, on specific, you know, departments, the, the specific topics and issues they're facing. So it gave me the opportunity after uh, studying at ESCP to actually experience, you know, um, what is really a business and um, and different businesses and national cultures, different management styles, more including also micromanagement, I have to say, unfortunately, in some places, um, but also organizational structures, um, etc. And um, consulting was also the occasion for me as a very, let's say, curious and social or extrovert person to meet and connect with a variety of, of people, uh, with a variety also of backgrounds they're having, and understanding also as much as possible the challenges they're facing at work and also often even beyond work. Um, because you're often, you know, uh, sent on, uh, you know, in a new company that you don't know of, uh, some t- often also in an industry that you have no clue about and stuff, and you're sold by your supervisors, partners, or whatever, the consulting company as the expert. Mm-hmm. While sometimes, you know, you're back then, I, when I started, I was 23 and I had to explain, I remembered, uh, you know, uh, to a CEO in Cyprus in the telecom industry that was uh, for sure over 50, that actually what he's doing is good, but it could be way better out of my 23 years old. So 
imagine the, the situation. So it helps you to become also quite confident and uh, persuasive also in what you're saying. And you, you gain also the ability to be able to, to summarize, you know, quickly and uh, be able then to, to share or convey a message about, you know, the insights you found and draw recommendations on really a broad variety of topics. If we look more closely at your consulting background, you spent many years working in Africa. So with over 17 years of experience on the continent, what were some of the key lessons you've learned about doing business there and operating across different cultures? When we talk about Africa, a lot of people, it sounds like it's a country, but it's a continent, obviously. So, And there are 54 countries and tens of thousands or even more different, you know, uh, ethnicities, cultures, and you name it, or languages even. So... Um, for me, if I can generalize, because it's, of course, there are a lot of varieties, if I can generalize, um, and I would say in Africa, really from north to south, east to west, it's relatively easy to, to meet people, you know, and business people in particular. That's one of my key lessons learned from, from working on the continent. And you can talk to pretty much everyone. So really from, um, for instance, from a receptionist at a, in a company to the CEO or MD of a large group in this given country to, uh, you know, also a minister and stuff, which is not always easy in other parts of the world. But what I mean is it's, it's really in Africa, you, you also, it's very important to connect with people. It's not only to meet, but really to connect. And I insist on that word. I'll just tell you a story. When I was in, in Burkina Faso, for instance, so it's a Western African country. Um, and, uh, I, I was support, it was for a UN organization called UNIDO. And, um, I was a consultant for them and we were supposed to implement a project on uh, on clean cooking and uh the problem was that uh, we needed to be able to implement that project we needed to get an approval from the ministry of economy and uh and the budget and finance sorry for economy and finance i went to the, the director of cabinet's office and uh, i asked him i presented myself what i was doing here and that i would like to meet the minister i'm just here for a few days i know i don't have uh, the right paper and I didn't follow the process properly and apologize for that. But really people, there are women beneficiaries in Burkina Faso that are really willing to get those uh, improved cook stoves and stuff to be able to cook and save money and make more money out of that as well. So I was like, it's urgent. So he said, okay, listen, just sit down and uh, let's wait. And I saw then that this director of cabinet, he had kind of a sore throat and was coughing. And I was like, okay, wait a minute. So I took my handbag. And as my friends would say, it's a Mary Poppins handbag. So I almost have everything in that handbag. So I was like, wait a minute. So I found some sore throats, you know, candies. So I gave it to him and I'm like, yeah, take it, take one, like, you don't know, one in the morning, one in the afternoon and stuff. And I leave you the, the box. And he was like, oh, that's so nice of you. Okay. So and I sat back and then he went, he left the office, his office and went to next door's office to the secretary of the minister's office, comes back and he's like, okay, Madame Nadia, can you please follow me? Well, okay. So I was like, okay, well, what's happening? <laughs> so I'm following and I'm, I'm entering the secretary, the ministry secretary office and she stands up. And again, I guess I don't know what happened that day. They were all sick. <laughs> so she had, you know, she had some back issues. So. I was like, oh, you, uh, nice to meet you, uh, Madame Nicole. And I was like, 
she was like, oh, yeah. I'm like, is your back hurting? Do you have rheumatism? And she's like, oh, yeah. How do you know? I'm like, my, my grandma and I have people in my family that, you know, I know how, how it goes. So I'm not a doctor, but I guess you need. And I'm like, next time I come back, because I used to live in Austria. I'm like, next time I come back, I'll bring you a special cream that will really help you. And she's like, oh, that's so nice and stuff. She's like, so sit, sit here. So I sat and people were waiting in the other room huh? because I had no appointment. The other ones had appointment. So I sat down and then. From the minister's office, uh, a delegation came out and then the secretary told me, come, Madame Nadia, and you will meet now the minister. So just saying, it's just about, you know, taking, you know, the opportunity. And this is the beauty of Africa. You can meet, as said, I mean, how, who am I to meet, you know, uh, in Europe, uh, you know, some people like that. In Africa, it's way easier. So this and this necessity for a quality network and and the lessons that you're already sharing with others based on what you've experienced yourself is the basis for this other entity that you've recently co-founded, Business Club Africa. Could you tell us a little bit more about that, how you came to create this exactly and, and what your mission is? It's more than a network. It's a community of, of like-minded people who are, are doing a willing-to-do business across Africa in any kind of sector, any kind of industry. And that are also uh, not only for business, but that are really engaged and committed or willing to also, you know, unleash Africa's huge potential. Because as we said earlier in that podcast, you know, uh, the perception, especially outside of Africa, is often wrong. So you hear a lot, oh, those poor Africans and they don't have food and they are, you know, all that things. And, and, and there is a lot of corruption and whatsoever. Well, Part of it is is true, but you can find that also in other places of the world. I mean, in Europe, there are a lot of people that are that are also poor in the streets and stuff, but nobody cares, you know. Just saying that the the, the perception is wrong, and and that's why it also helps. Let's say the the community we created is to also make that change, you know, of perception. And um, and to showcase all the good things that are happening or moving across Africa, you have stuff like you know uh, mobile money, for instance. In Africa, we pay in many African countries, and especially in sub sub-Saharan Africa, we pay. I don't know. I pay my my uh, my electricity bill, my water bill, if I go to a shop or whatever, directly from my phone without having any credit card to get out or nothing else. You know, so there are a lot of things that are really great and that are fantastically happening uh, across the continent out of nothing. You know, that's the beauty of it. Um, it brings to mind, actually, that when we were preparing for the podcast, you shared a couple um, comments and stats on what you see as Africa's strengths. And one, for example, was about women and entrepreneurship on the continent. And mm -hmm. we looked up some numbers on that, and I wanted to get your thoughts on, on why this is the case. So, for example, there is a global entrepreneurship monitor that was conducted in 2019 and 2020, which found that 26% of female adults in Africa engaged in entrepreneurial activity during this time. Mm -hmm. And for comparison, the worldwide average of women percentage of a female adults engaging in entrepreneurship is only at 11%. So we're over double. I'm mm -hmm. curious from your experience working in, in the, on the continent and these different business leaders, why do you think this is the case? African women are, are very powerful and very dynamic. This is the, the experience I had and, and anywhere I was really from a capital city to really, I went to really very remote areas and you could tell really women are really powerful and making things happen. 
Um, and I, I've met really the most inspiring women leaders that I've met so far. Um, I met them in Africa, really uh, impressively inspiring. And, and what they achieved is just, I mean, you can't even believe it sometimes. So, and in different, in different areas. So I recall, um, for instance, in, I'll take another, uh, an example still in Burkina Faso, but, um, I, I met this, this lady who, uh, was at that time, I think 62 or 63 years old. And I was in my early thirties and, and she was like, she, she was a widow since she, since her early thirties with five boys at home. So she, she created, she, she, she was, uh, she learned from her grandma back in the days, how to produce a local beer made of, uh, local cereals, a millet or sorghum. And she started doing that and slowly becoming a bit bigger, hiring other people and stuff. And this, she did it first in her own backyard. And then slowly, but surely she grew, she grew and she was so, she became so powerful also as a person and confident that she created also an association with all those ladies doing the same business that they're called the Dolotière in Burkina Faso. And then she became also, she created a federation of all those associations around the country and stuff. So it's not necessarily always out of, you know, you decided, like, for instance, a lot in Europe, you said, okay, yes, I want to become an entrepreneur because I really want it. But often in Africa, yes, it can be because you want to, but a lot of the majority of women uh, that are more like in vulnerable populations um, mm -hmm. do that out of, let's say, out of necessity, you know, they don't necessarily have another choice, but still often they make, you know, with nothing they make amazing stuff and often they're not i find still even though this is a figure which is great i think even this 26 percent is even low it's it's way it's way more i believe from what mm -hmm. i've seen at least and especially in rural areas we actually there's a professor at escp elisa sido who mm -hmm. has written several research papers on women and entrepreneurship in africa uh, ah, many yeah and many lessons to learn from them in terms of how they they harness the power of their community how they often function in form of a collective, just like you mentioned, this yeah. association of women who work together to continue to grow the business. So for anyone listening who wants to check out some of that research, we do have it on The Choice. And you can search uh, Lisa Sido, S-Y-D-O-W, to, to find it. I'm just thinking if there's ESCP students who are looking where they want to have their next business experience or entrepreneurs who are eager for a new terrain what are some of those strengths um, and industries that you think are important right now in Africa? It's it's really you have plenty, plenty of opportunities. The only thing is you have to remember in Africa to focus on one or two ideas because otherwise, you, you know, there's so many things to do that you will just... Uh, uh, you know, uh, not focus and not be focused anymore and lose your energy. And, and then you will actually, uh, not succeed. So this would be something I would put forward. Um, then of course there are sectors that have, that are under the spotlight, uh, today. Um, so if I take, of course, uh, the, the, the energy sector, the agricultural sector, because mm -hmm. I mean, uh, still in uh, across Africa and especially sub-Saharan Africa, um, you know, there are hundreds of millions of people who still do not have access to, to, to electricity. So of course, also for them to, for instance, become entrepreneurs or to, to, to develop themselves, even though I hate to use that word development, but 
really to, to move forward, electricity is extremely key. But you have this, you have, again, as I said, agriculture and food processing. Food processing in Africa is not is often not happening on the continent. So it's an extremely rich, to not say actually the richest continent in terms of arable lands. The biggest amount of arable lands is in Africa. I think it's about 60%, if I'm not wrong, of the arable lands on the planet. So it's huge. So it could become the cradle of the world, let's say, you know, in terms of food. But mm -hmm. the thing is what is happening, a lot is exported, you know, abroad and not processed in the country. So this is a big problem. So if you're in processing and finding some great solutions, uh, it's great. Then um, you have a lot happening now, a lot of investors also, especially from outside of Africa coming and investing in tech and especially in fintech. Yes, there is a lot of things happening there. So it's great. But I believe there are also Africa is amazing also in terms of low tech, you know, people are so mm -hmm. focusing on this tech, tech, tech or metaverse or you name it. Yes, it is important. And it's true. It's moving towards that side. But don't forget also simple things. And again, this human side, because the machine is great. I mean, uh, maybe I have a trauma from Robocop back uh, when I was a kid, but it's like you still have, you know, this human touch that is extremely key. And you, again, because of this creativity of people, you have so many solutions, simple solutions to put on. And I think when we talked about before having this podcast, I told you about this example that I really love. Well, it's again in Burkina Faso because I used to live there, but there is this, this old man, old farmer, smallholder farmer in the north of Burkina Faso, which is a very desertic area. And he was like facing a lot of troubles, you know, with droughts and stuff and not sufficient rainfall. And he was like, okay, I have to nourish my family. I cannot, or otherwise they will die. So we really hear in, a lot in survival mode, especially in rural areas across Africa. So he was like, okay, he thought, he tested a few things and he just built, he just created just, you know, he changed a bit the way he did the, um, how should I say, the, the, the culture of his crops. And it's called the Zai uh, technique. Very simple. And this maintained water better and his, um, yields, you know, uh, his crop yields just skyrocketed. So this is something now that is starting to get implemented in other parts of Burkina Faso and other parts of the, of Africa and even maybe the world. But it's still, that's the issue. So what is the missing link is sharing that information. So if you, uh, so the listeners to her voice are like, you know, having some ideas on how to actually scale up things and disseminate that information because there's so many things happening. I think this is also something really to invest in. Thank you. Well, for me, that's almost to the end of our podcast, but I always we always finish with one question that we like to ask our guests. And that one is, what advice would you give to others who are looking to find their voice? Uh -huh. That's a very good question indeed. Um, so um, my advice would be, you know, um, to find out what you like doing or actually what you don't like doing, because we don't always have a passion for something at first, or at least that was my experience when I started my career. And then also to think of what you would like to change. So a challenge or a problem that you are facing, not necessarily that you think the market or the demand could uh, could have, but what are you 
facing as challenges and that you would like to solve for yourself. And then to talk, you know, to talk and have uh, conversations, you know, with a lot of resource people within your network. And and then, of course, out of all this, then just do it, like mm-hmm. Nike would say, but sorry, <laughs> and, and make it happen because no risk, no fun. That would be my advice. Awesome. That's always good <laughs> advice. Just, just get it done. Go yeah, for it. Exactly. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us and sharing your voice with us here on ESCP's podcast, Her Voice. Thank you so much to you. Thank you all for joining us on the first episode of Her Voice Season 2, powered by ESCP Business School's media, The Choice. We appreciate your time and hope you enjoyed hearing about Nadia's experience as an international consultant and resourceful networker as much as we did. In our next episode, Caroline Lameau-Dupont will be joining us to tell us about the ins and outs of fintech. Stay tuned! If you're a keen listener and have already given us five stars or subscribed to the show, don't hesitate to tell other people who might enjoy it as well. Thank you to the team behind Her Voice, my co-producer Jean Weckler, our agency You Love Words, and the recording studio L'Arrière Boutique.